Hashtag Psychotherapy Unfogged with Mark Fielding Okay, welcome to Hashtag Psychotherapy Unfogged. This is episode 13 and our penultimate episode. And um, we're not entirely sure what we're going to do for the last episode yet, but we're kind of playing with the idea of Joe coming on and maybe just kind of doing a sum up and looking at maybe some of the some of the shows that we've done on episode 13. And also to talk about some of Joe's projects. Um, you may well remember that Joe, you know, won awards for two films that he made, short films, Anxious Me One anxious me too and he's got some really exciting projects coming up so we'll, we'll, we'll let you know about that in due course um but i really want to introduce our guests i'm excited to introduce our guests today bernie wright and lisa smith who will be talking about eating disorders and the neurodivergent client lisa's a registered nutritionist with a special interest in disordered eating and mental health she has over 17 years clinical experience and works as a senior lecturer for the renowned College of Naturopathic Medicine. Bernie Wright is a counsellor, clinical supervisor and trainer specialist in eating disorders and clinical director for NEDI, which we'll talk about in more detail later in the show. So welcome. Thank you both for coming on. Good to meet you, Mark. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, and I wanted to kick off just to ask, perhaps you could tell our listeners a little bit about yourselves and, and what led you into working in this field. Do you want to start, Lisa, or should I? No, you start and then I'll join on. Okay, doke. Um, well, I'm clearly Bernie Wright and Lisa is also a co-director of NED with me. Um, really exciting uh, new company we started up last June, looking and working with a neurodivergent client. Um, I've been working many, many years as a counsellor, psychotherapist, clinical supervisor, and I felt very strongly that the whole way through my training, um, there had not been enough focus and support for the neurodivergent individual. Myself being neurodivergent, I'm ADHD, dyslexic, dyspraxic, and with dyscalculus, so I've got pretty much an array of wonderful neurodivergent traits. And I believe absolutely passionately as a therapist that unless we actually meet the neurodivergent client in their world, we will miss them. Um, and my sense is that we are still throughout the UK um, teaching in a way that in my professional opinion and personal opinion is very neurotypical. And especially working with the neurodivergent client it is absolutely vital that we meet the client as a neurodivergent person and, and work with them accordingly. And Mark has been on a lot of our training and um, I know that um, he benefited, I would imagine, hugely from knowing how to do, what to do and certainly what not to do. So that's basically a brief over, you know, overview of my passion and why I, at least when I got together, I had been the clinical lead for the National Centre of Eating Disorders for many years, amazing training and loved it. And I just felt that Lisa and I needed to, to devi deviate more so we would do something different, which would be looking and working purely with the neurodivergent individual. 
Yeah, and as you say, Bernie, I mean, I've you know, I've had the pleasure of you know doing some of the training with the organisation, and you know, I have to say, I mean, I would really recommend it. I've I've loved it. You know, I mean, it's. I think I said this in some of the feedback. You know, I mean, it is. I mean, I've done a lot of CPD <laughs> over my career, but it is, I think, the best training I've ever done, and I don't say that lightly. I mean, just just to come to you, Lisa. You know, the same question, really. Um, just kind of what led you into the field, and just tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, um, it's quite interesting, really, is when I trained many years ago, um, you know, people say, oh, what are you going to specialise in? And I was quite categorical that I thought I wasn't going to specialise in eating disorders. Um, and then I always say, you know, just be careful what you what you could close the door on. So I met with Bernie, it must be about 15 years ago now, we were both setting up our individual practices. Um, and we just sort of Collector you know, Bernie was sort of quite forward thinking at the time because she said that, uh, you know, recovery from any eating disorder really is very much more than the therapeutic relationship and actually took quite a lot of flack for that. So I sort of joined um, Bernie because looking at feeding the brain is a really important thing when we're looking at eating disorders, which is where we started from. But when we started, it almost... Um, unintentionally Bernie and I were talking about neurodiversity many years ago but of course we didn't really recognize what it was then but we'd be sort of describing clients and um, you know I'd, I'd have a referral and so you know this client's maybe quite rigid in their thoughts so we were sort of tailoring our approach to individuals then without realizing what it was um, but you know over the years of working with Bernie and her supervisees what I found is, is to take the emphasis really away from labels and conditions and focus upon gaining health and nutrients, feeding the brain, feeding the body, because unfortunately, the I'd say almost all the people that I consult with are presenting as either being overfed and undernourished or underfed and undernourished, and especially with um, neurodiversity, because you have got that maybe... Um, restrictions due to taste texture smell of foods or you get that sort of all or nothing attitude that can hyper sort of fixate on one food and then not eating that and then eat another one and over the years these nutrient imbalances uh, develop which if we can rebalance get those um, any deficiencies cleared up it can actually put the client in a better position to take on board the therapy and that's got to be a good thing. You know, if we can put them in a position that they are sort of more sort of got more clarity, more enthusiasm, the brain can actually take on board what's been offered to them, enhance the therapy. And that's how I see where the nutrition fits in. It's to put the clients in that better position in order that the therapy can be more successful more quickly. Yeah, so from what you say, Lisa, it's a real kind of symbiosis between, you know, the counselling and, you know, and the nutrition. So, you know, if the brain is not working sufficiently to be inadequate nutrition, then, you know, the counselling is not going to, it's not going to potentially work either. So, you know, to do the things in combination is really, you know, the, the best thing to do in order oh, to, you know, get the client outcome that the client wants. Yeah, I mean, most definitely, because... In fact, nutrition on its own mark could be a little bit dangerous stick. 
yeah i mean absolutely and, and and just to bring you you bernie in i mean i, I guess setting up when well, both of you you know setting up you know setting up the organization is a way to address what lisa was saying is a way to kind of be be more embracive for the new way diverse client absolutely absolutely and i mean there's some you know absolutely excellent uh training institutions out there um and if they if they if they take our lead and um embrace neurodiverse you know the neurodiversion personality um person it would make such a difference to the students who are studying with them um and i know that myself going through training for so many years i found that um training as if i was neurotypical i found really traumatizing and that is what we have to really reflect on. Um, so, work, you know, so to work in a in a really person-centered way, Mark. Mm, so, yeah. you know, and I think I've always felt very, you know, passionately that if we hit everything with a hammer, it will end up looking like a nail. And um, with eating disorders in particular and disordered eating, it's something about um, how we absolutely, absolutely work in, in a way that they they feel I feel you know people like me feel understood so uh, whilst I think boundaries are absolutely essential as us therapists um and they make great neighbors like fences um the other way around um but it's really important that we we adapt so for example work with eating disorders for a lot of our clients you know writing can be an absolute um trauma you know for many reasons and um, so we adapt with the food diaries and, and all that. We just work with different ways. Um, if someone's ADHD, we, we support them hugely to learn how to use their hyperfocus um, in a way that they meet. But like I'm, I'm ADHD, so I absolutely know that I have to set a, an alarm to, to remember to eat. Of course, a lot of people would become get into the binge eating cycle um, purely because they have got so hyper focused, and then at the end of the day, they finish work and they just grab everything that's not nailed down, like I used to do. Mm. But something about keeping our blood sugars all bad, which Lisa always talks so much about, it makes such a difference to so many people. Yeah, so I mean, so it, so it is really, you know, client centred, you yeah. know, really getting to know the individual, you know, and and just meeting the individual where they are, you know, understanding the individual's needs, you know, and needs that, you know, for all of us are going to be different, you know, for I mean, the neurodiversity, you know, is enormous, isn't it? I mean, people can bring, with, you know, lots and lots of different kind of characteristics, but really meeting the client where they are and then tailoring the kind of treatment plan, if I can put it in that formal way. To, to to meet the client basically i mean this yeah. is what you're saying i think isn't it absolutely yeah. we talk about that an awful lot in, in in the way that you know if someone you know someone may find it excruciating to come online and look at you or come into your consulting room yeah. and look at you um i've worked with people who've actually sat with their backs to me you know and it's, it's something about if someone's very sort of hyper hyper focused you know and um always on the move um, I've actually done assessments, actually following them around my garden. So it's something about meeting the client where they need to be met each, each and every time. And I think I think also we've got, um, you know, I'm a functional nutritionist, so I'm really interested in how and why the body is working the way it does. And once you start to talk to people and explain that actually it isn't about willpower, 
It isn't the fact you, you haven't got willpower. It's chemical reactions happening in the body that are driving certain behaviours, whether they be through hormones, neurotransmitters, blood sugar regulation. And if we can understand that, coupled with, I mean, the number of clients we've spoken to that once they have a diagnosis uh, of either um, being autistic or with ADHD, it, it's like the pennies dropped. And then you give them the rationale of how the body is working and it becomes something that's much more easy to understand. And therefore, there's coping mechanisms have already been offered as opposed to just saying, eat this, do that, don't drink coffee, don't, do, you know, it, it's like, no, let's take every the emphasis off the food, look at the client, deal with those coexisting symptoms that there might be given understanding why they are there and what the client themselves can do about it and then you bring the food and is the answer instead of it being the problem mm. absolutely very well put and, and it's something about you know you're eliminating the shame, mm, and shame and, yeah yeah i mean and this is maybe a bit of a jump to something else but i mean often with you know i mean people present you know i mean neurodiversity is so so common isn't it you know and, and arguably it's only really coming into the public domain more now i mean even the word neurodiversity is a fairly new word you know, i've heard a bit more discussion on tv you know and and, and, and i think with neurodiverse clients you know often i think in the past there is there has been shame hasn't there there has been shame about being different. And I think a lot of masking goes on as well, doesn't it? You know, I yeah. mean, it, it, it's a big subject, you know, but I think, you know, a, allowing neurodiverse people to be themselves, you know, and it, it's incredibly important. You know, we all bring very different characteristics, you know, into, you know, in, into society. I mean, I wanted to pick up on something that you were saying, Lisa. In, can you give us an idea around how kind of providing nutritional support to a neurodiverse client might look different from a neurotypical client it's yeah, I mean, to answer I know but yeah it, it is but you're I mean one of the things the body communicates via um, hormones and neurotransmitters and this is where we sometimes see differences in with the um say if you take adhd for instance um you've got dopamine which is your reward and motivation hormone uh, neurotransmitter sorry now there's a lot of studies that evidence that um, those with adhd actually break down dopamine quickly so that means they're either up or down it, you know that they're always looking for that dopamine because dopamine's that you know you, you know that sort of that first bite of chocolate that cup of coffee that yes that good feeling and but if that feeling doesn't stay with you you're going to seek it again yep so un unfortunately this is one of the things that can be more associated with that all or nothing personality but nutritionally there are things that you can do to slow down how quickly dopamine is broken down you can support dopamine levels in the body to help to try and balance them so that takes away those extreme up and downs and tries to bring it I mean balance is the word I use quite a lot because uh, you know we, that's the body should be in balance it strives to have that natural balance so you know it, it's working with those that that sort of understanding of the body um, looking at the um, autistic um, individual um, there it, it's sometimes a little bit more there there are other I do quite a lot with genetics 
you know, looking at how they influence the body's actions, you know, sometimes for the better, sometimes not so. Um, but we do need to look at something called methylation. And methylation sounds really complicated, but it's if you imagine there's the body, um, there's lots of dimmer switches and they all need to be turned on for the body to work. But sometimes some of them get turned up or turned down. And methylation is involved in that. And again, studies have indicated that with the autistic individual, a high percentage have issues with this methylation, which affects how the body works. It can mean that the body doesn't clean up effectively and it will add to brain fog. Um, sort of that waking up, I always ex, ex, describe it as waking up in the morning and feeling like you had a drink the night before, but actually you didn't. You know, it's that the body's slow to get going, and that is seen with a lot of autistic clients. So it's looking at those, but then more importantly, how do we introduce those dietary changes when we are then dealing with neurodivergent client themselves? So, for instance, I had a client who only liked uh, crispy food, crunchy, crispy, everything. So, okay, then let's dehydrate as much as we can. So we started off, you know, at the moment, if they were eating crisps, chips, toast, just nothing of any nutritional value. But we started off by buying the apple crisps, the vegetable crisps, you know, and dehydrating um, fish and meat to get it into that texture that was acceptable. And then slowly, with feeding the brain at the same time, you start to reduce the amount of crispiness in that food and there's a little bit more it's, it's like that sort of slow gentle to introduce new things mix things together um and it, it is again down to the personal preferences but it's having from a nutritional perspective it's ensuring that, that the therapist has this open mind and doesn't think oh you've got to have two portions of oily fish a day eat two handfuls of leafy greens, don't have this, it, you know, that becomes a little bit too restrictive. And we've, we've got to allow people, if we've got people that are not eating, and I put an in inverted commas, the perfect diet, which I doubt anybody does, we're not going to go from A to Z in one go. Let's take these little baby steps that they can come along with us instead of us trying to push them down the road. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and again, really, really, in terms of nutrition, really, really meeting the client where they are. Oh, most definitely. You yeah. Know, it's so important. It comes over really in everything that, that you both say. I mean, can I just ask you, and you've touched a little bit on this, Bernie, already, in terms of tailoring the kind of therapy for the neurodivergent client. I mean, obviously, you know, it's going to depend on the person you have in front of you, but could you maybe just, just say a little bit more about it, around how the therapy for, I don't know, maybe someone with ADHD or, or ASD might differ from if you're working with a neurotypical? Yeah, I mean, one thing I would say, um, first of all, is that we have so many guidelines. I'm not, I'm not sure about the guidelines, but I think it's what, eight to 10, six to eight sessions, I think. Um, and the problem we, we don't take into account is that, um, you know, it may take a long time to actually connect with the, 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 uh, the person who's autistic. Yeah. So it's something about, you know, meeting that person, you know, we may, we may, we may a lot of people who are autistic have, a lot, you know, special interests. So it's finding out what really interests them. 
um, some people I work with who are autistic, you know, 50 minutes can be a lifetime. It could be too much. Yeah. Um, so I've, you know, in, in the past, I've done two half hours, you know, so just, just finding out what the client wants, mm -hmm. you know, and, and recognizing when they're getting that brain fog, as Lisa said, or when they're, when they're or, or, or with, with autistic people, the questions can be excruciating. So it's, you know, it's how we work in that moment, how we work with the, you know, and, 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 and to check on, you know, the consulting room, you know, if, if you know, they are for all that, that all the sensitivity, you know, that the, they might be really averse to sounds, loud bangs, you know, so it's something about making the, the room or they may have a real problems with, with certain smells. Yeah. Um, so making our room, um, you know, neurodivergent friendly, I would say, to, to look at it through um, not just the eyes of a neurotypical person, but what, 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 what does someone who is neurodivergent need from us within our working environment? Yeah. And that would be something that, that I would be, you know, very, very keen to, to explore and to, and to, you know, and as, as Lisa and I both know, I've lost count over the years of how many people that I've actually worked with who have been um, neurodivergent, who were given all sorts of labels, you know, EUPD, which used to be very BPD, borderline personality disorder. And I've often said to clients, you know, if I hate what you had, they'd give me all sorts of labels as well. And whilst as, an, as a as a as a as a, um, as a as a practitioner, I'm very keen not to give a label to anybody. It's just the you know, to each person's unique, and we just look at the individual and how we can connect with that person and to, and, to, and to find out what they want. So a lot of people who come to us, Mark will be taught, said there, you know, they, I was always told off for talking too much at school. I was, I got no concentration. You know, all those types of things can indicate. Yeah. Um, that, and I, and I, I know you were in my training that we did, Mark, with a with six million version people who did a, who did a, um, a, a Zoom webinar with me. And uh, each and every one of them had been given all sorts of label. One, three times was uh, EUPD. And it turned out basically that um, after coming to, to myself for um, a session, that it was, you know, um, and, uh, a autistic, um, she was then given a diagnosis of autism, which for some people can be very useful. And yet for some people, they don't. Once again, never assume to know if the client does want to know. So we have to do the pacing very carefully. Yeah. And how, but, but regardless of whether we give it anything a name, we can just automatically adapt our working situation to how the client presents with us. It's as simple as that. Yeah, and I really resonate in terms of diagnosis, you know, I mean, for, for diagnosis, you know, for some clients, you know, really, really helpful, you know, I mean, somebody could, I mean, things like ADHD, I mean, people can go through the whole schooling system and, 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 and you know, and not be diagnosed with ADHD, you know, they'll, they'll internalize lots and lots of negative kind of feedback around not being able to pay attention, etc. And then, you know, later in life, they get the diagnosis, and it all kind of retrospectively makes sense. So, so for some people, it's really helpful. But for others, I think diagnosis can be really stigmatizing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, I, you know, I agree with you, it really, really depends on the client. But I guess what you're saying, Bernie, is diagnosis or no, 
you know, yes. getting to know the client and understanding what their needs are and tailoring, you know, the therapy in order to meet those needs is the way forward, really. That's going to be the most helpful thing. I mean, I wanted to ask you both, this is a bit of a jump to something else, but in terms of the neurodivergent client and in terms of NHS services around eating disorders, what... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is a, I mean, I, I see you both smiling. I mean, this is a big subject, but what what, what happens? I mean, can neurodivergent clients not have access to the system? I, I just wonder what happens with neurodivergent clients with the current NHS systems. I don't know whether that's something you're happy to talk about or not, but. Do you want to go first, Lisa? <laughs> um to be, I think it could be a very short answer. <laughs> I, to be fair, I really don't think that it is giving, you know, at the end of the day, the NHS are very good at what they're doing. Once you've got a diagnosis, a medical diagnosis, we can give you the appropriate medication. However, getting that diagnosis um, and understanding that diagnosis, and we're back to labels, aren't we? Yeah. So when you're looking from a therapeutic point of view, I don't believe that there is any distinguishment between neurotypical and neurodiverse given. I don't know, Bernie, if you want to add anything onto that. It's a minefield, and, and I think that it's getting a lot better. So I like with a little bit of optimism here, yeah. is that the neurodivergent client patient is beginning um, and I know that um, you know some of the, the refeeding or the or the inpatients. Are beginning um, to recognise that there's a huge amount of, especially in anorexia nervosa, huge amount of people who are autistic that present that suffer with anorexia, for example. So that that you know, so that that's and it and it's vital that we do it. We actually recognise it more and more uh, because for autistic people to go into an inpatient and um, unit and be Get, be treated as if they're neurotypical as far you know as far as uh, noise concerns so they they may just think that the clients may you know it, it's the anorexic voice we call it the anorexic voice as you know and um, that's your anorexic voice telling you you know that you you can't eat this or you can't eat that and and, and you know, we need to be very careful where autism it, you know where, where it can, people can well, openly admit it can be useful to say I, can't, I definitely can't eat that because I'm autistic yeah. Um, but it can be um, a support can be a, a real movement into wellness yeah. uh, and, and, a, and a way going forward if, if we know I mean I think that I, I saw the last thing I think it's a hundred thousand people waiting for autistic diagnosis yeah. in the moment and I think what's the two-year four-year where it depends on the lottery of where you are um, and I do think that because the neurodivergent um, individuals and I think COVID had a lot to do with that um, that people were at home and they, they, it was almost like this huge community sprang up um, amongst neurodivergent folks. And, um, and, I, and I think because the anxiety of leaving the home and, and all of the awful, the overwhelming thing that people who are neurodivergent may suffer from were taken away. So they could focus on, on and, and, and pave a way quite rightly for what they wanted. And it's something about there, there seems to be less of a um, an okayness to accept that we have to work in one way, you know, that we have to work within a neurotypical arena, really. And it's getting, but it is positively getting so much better, which is which is why the, I mean, I'm, my children were both, you know, both um, 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 
neurodivergent and, and, and bring in your children, our children through systems that are so difficult for them can be extremely, extremely excruciating actually. And, and it still is, it's not changed that much. So it's, it's, I think it's education, education and more education. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, society is so set up for neurotypicals, isn't it? You know, and I mean, you know, you look at, I mean, you know, arguably, I mean, just looking at kind of, you know, ASD, I mean, some of the, you know, the greatest discoveries we've ever got, space travel, you know, neurodivergent people, I mean, they're the basis of growth, arguably, of the whole of society, yet they, you know, often they're not really catered for, you know, it is a kind of one size fits all mentality, although that is changing. I mean, that kind of brings me on to the setting up of NED. I just wonder whether you could both both talk a little bit uh, about that and also who can access the trainings, what the trainings are and how people can get in touch if they if they want to train with NED. Yeah, well, we, I mean, as we say, we the training programmes that we have, um, even though they've got different topics, all take into account the neurodivergent clients and the I saw the, the eating diversity that goes alongside those. So all our training programs aim to provide an awareness and understanding of the challenges that these clients face in different arenas. So, um, for instance, we have a couple of uh, talks coming up. We've got one on menopause because the neurodivergent client will experience the menopause in a slightly different way than the neurotypical. Mm. Uh, you know, change is a big thing if we're looking from the autistic person. Um, if there is has been any disordered eating, that fear of weight gain can be a, a big factor. So we're looking at trying to raise awareness um, of the an understanding of these challenges. Um, because if these are not sort of acknowledged, you're never going to meet the client, as we say, you're, you're going to see, as you've mentioned, Mark, this mask that is put mm -hmm. in front, yeah. and you will never actually meet the clients. And what we're trying to do with our training is just to sort of, I would say, just stand back and listen to your, you know, to your answers, ask the right questions, listen to the answers, but more importantly, then it's what you can do from that so you know from the nutritional aspect you know I've I've seen clients with ADHD have been given the most complex of supplement regimes and you know I want you to take this before breakfast that one without food this one before bed and it, it's just it's not going to happen yeah. and the, the problem is when it doesn't happen you know the ther the nutrition therapist that's given that ADH person that is was quite right in this is what they need, but how it was presented to them wasn't right because what that will do is the ADHD person won't be able to keep to that. Then they'll be beating themselves up again because oh it's me I can't do it this and that and the you know it doesn't help from the nutritional therapist point of view because they you know why wasn't why didn't they do what I suggested so it's just getting that to meet face on meet the clients and have that understanding um but it's it's an exciting time it was you know it, it's been brilliant this last year has been challenging I think that's the word but if, you know what we're just trying to do is say if we can meet the person the outcomes uh, the positive outcomes happen happen more quickly 
Mm. And in you know, without sort of the the trauma that's sometimes attached to recovery, because we're we're, we're dealing with the individual. Yeah, the the, the, the person as they are, um, mm. you know, as they are in our therapeutic room. And uh, Lisa and I, we also work um, a lot with the bariatric community, and we're really attempting to to open that up hugely, Mark, because there's. There's been a, a, a terrible stigma um, for people who decide to make the choice of surgery. And, and I, I always say very passionately that, you know, given an ideal world, yes, please, let's get people when they're sort of 10, 12, 13, 15, 20, um, before they spend a lifetime of yo-yo dieting and slimming world and everything they do. Um, and, 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 and there is a stigmatization of it for, the, for these people. We've, at least I'll be doing a lot of work with, with them. And we've, there's a, a, a group of about three and a half thousand people who are actually on this um, particular group that uh, that our trainer runs, and it's something about you know when we started working with this group and when I was on there and we said basically how many of you how many of you would say you um, eat emotionally, um, most hands went up in a Zoom room. You know how many people here find concentration, and you know, and you know, say that they say that you're scatty or lack concentration, or to you know, just or hyperactive. How many? And those of hands went up. So then, and, and, and our sort of our plea for the NHS and for for anyone really is to who are working with these clients who are fleeing abroad in their absolute thousands and thousands and thousands, is to check them. But if to see if they are neurodivergent or and eating disorder before we go into major life changing um, surgery, yeah. that means their life can never be the same again. Yeah, and then just I'm, I'm not conscious of, of the time, but I mean, I just just briefly was wanting to talk about the stigma that people in larger bodies have to endure mm -hmm. society. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, could you maybe both say just a little bit about that and how you see it? Because there is I, so much stigma. Yeah. Uh, I feel, and Lisa and I have talked about it, it's a loss, and I feel that if uh, any professional, any professional out there working, really needs to consider deeply their own weight bias. Yeah. Their own internalised stigma um, for how um, we see individuals. And uh, it's so important that you agree, Lisa, that we... What, what we think what we feel and I think also there's a difference mark between you know wanting to lose that half a stone you put on over Christmas and when you're dealing with a person in the larger body that really uh, for health reasons to gain better health mm. um, wants to be smaller but I see there's there's two different things on here because, and I'm going to use the O word here, so I do apologise, but I need to sort of distinguish, but somebody with obesity, to me, that is a, that's a, that's a diagnosis, and that is the body, the communications in the body has come completely out of balance, you know, the, these hormones, these neurotransmitters, it is not a matter of calories in, calories out. You know, that is such a traditional old fashioned view and it does not work. You've got to rebalance the body from there. You've got to get the body to understand where it is today, because, you know, we have got a natural or the body tries to maintain us within, uh, you know, what it feels is uh, a good, healthy weight for us. And it, 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 it's 
gathers information about that from these communications of hormones and neurotransmitters. But when they don't work effectively, because things are stopping them, then there's a lot of confusion that goes on. So somebody that just wants to lose that half a stone, fine, that's, you know, that can be your calories in, calories out, healthy eating, etc. But when you've come to the point that the body has gone out of sync, it's yeah. out of balance, that can actually be more harmful than it can be good again. We've got to look at where that client is now, how long is the body, you know, if, if the body is constantly getting messages um, you know, I would say if your body is constantly getting anxious, stressed, inflammatory, toxic messages, then that's what it will become. Yeah. Um, um, sorry, Nathan. No, I was going to say, and food, again, too much emphasis is put on the food, on restricting, on diets, on, you know, these extreme low calorie diets. They do not work because the body is, has got very biologically sort of systems in place to prevent that to prevent weight loss because we didn't evolve with too much food being a problem we evolved with not enough food being a problem so we've got very good coping mechanisms to stop us starving to death we haven't got those good mechanisms when it goes to the other end of the scale and they are the ones that get out of balance and once they have they need to be corrected before the body will allow the weight loss so Absolutely, Lisa. And there's something about uh, we. I think we all remember very well when we COVID, when the the general word on the on on out there was that people who had who were in larger bodies were going to die because of um, because of their weight and forcing people to go on diets, which they may have lost very quickly. But my goodness, they'd have put it all right back on again if they lost it like that. Um, and it was all very sad because you know, a fear is not a motivator. And for people like myself who were working sort of very much around the clock through COVID, um, we were all, and my supervisors, we were all really distressed at our clients coming in and they weren't thinking, right, I've got to actually get, you know, that's it now, I'm going to, I might die. It was, it, it drove them to eat more, it drove them to drink more. <laughs> it, yeah. That civilization made them so ashamed that they just, they just reverted. To, and a lot of the people that were doing really well, um, actually sort of with, with, with their gaining their health, just went straight back and put their head in the fridge. And I just didn't blame them in so many ways. I felt, I felt mortified at the time. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an enormous topic. I mean, I, you know, I mean, the pressure of society and, uh, yeah. And I guess the weight set, I mean, we probably haven't got time to go into this now, but I mean, something I learned from training around the weight set point, well, it's so interesting, you know, because I, and there's, there's people, I mean, it just on Twitter today, I saw, you know, a, 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 a think a physical trainer saying, it's really simple, you know, you just do more exercise and eat more calories, you know, and then as I've learned on your training, complete rubbish. It's, if the body, when you've got a body that thinks you're at the right weight, when you're a person of larger size, you've got to get that correction first. Yeah. Because the body is going to strive to keep you there. And in fact, if you, you know, decide to go on a, you know, a very low calorie diet, as say in COVID, uh, again, and I'm not knocking here, but the NHS brought out this 800 calorie a day liquid diet for three months aimed at reversing type 2 diabetes because of the risks associated with that. But the same website then says that very low calorie diets do not work and you're more likely to put the weight back on. Yeah. That is an immediate reaction. We know one's actually disagreeing there's a huge problem. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, for people in larger bodies, you know, uh, however, 
um, it's, it's something about doing it differently and creating people gaining health. And of course, Lisa talks a lot about genetic and there's so much involved that people um, should know, must know about, as opposed to just pointing the finger and saying it's this easy, because it's not. And also we need to remember that, you know, 50% of people who actually are in larger bodies and struggle uh, may have an eating disorder, do have an eating disorder. So slimming clubs and all diets and things just make it worse. You know, I think, you know, Lisa and I would both absolutely agree that most of the people that we work with, their problems with their food weight and shape started with the first diet. Mm. Yeah. I'm not saying that people need to, to, to be educated and know more. It's just how we do it. And that, yeah. yeah, Lisa, sorry. Yeah. I'd say you need to get the, I say to my clients, you know, you're not going to see that change in weight until you see the change on the inside, until we get that changed. And if the, the focus, if you use weight as a measurement tool, then it really is you're focusing on completely the wrong thing. We want to be focusing on health. We want to be focusing on energy. You've got to have, you know, the, the amount of um, stress, anxiety, depression caused by the eating environment um, and then the chemical reactions that go along with that in the body. Um, yeah, it, it is, you know, I'd say the, 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 if I look at the, the clients that we see on a regular basis, the people in larger bodies are, um, I see more frequently than I do the restrictive. Yet when you say eating disorders, that's what everyone automatically thinks about is anorexia yeah. and that's it that's it isn't it you know we've, i've worked with anorexia for many years now and seen you know countless people who suffer with anorexia nervosa um but what we also don't take into account is most people who are atypical anorexia mean which they are i've got everything every single chant word all the what the anorexic would suffer with which is the voice and the cruelty towards them that goes on um and yet they are on a larger body and then they are ridiculed and, then, and, and that's, I think, where a lot of our research needs to go is on the client who is in a large body and is anorexic, is atypical yeah. anorexic. I, just, I think anorexia with anorexia, I would like to see the atypical um, anorexia banished at some stage as well, because anorexia is anorexia, regardless of size, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, I, you know, as I've learned through, through your training, you know, I, more and more about you know eating disorders and nutrition i mean some of the messaging that people get from society around both is completely incorrect i mean it, it really is very very interesting I'm, I'm wanting to kind of just ask you we ask all of our guests at the end of the show you know their favorite coping strategies for you know for keeping you know their well-being and their mental health kind of ticking over and i just wanted to ask you both that question well what, what do you both do what, what are your coping strategies for good mental health? Um, I am one of those daft people that do wild swimming. So <laughs> I get into that cold water. Uh, yeah, on a regular basis, especially at the moment. It's down to about three or four degrees at the moment. Um, but it is so fantastic for you know for anxiety for stress that tension that you get in the body and it just disappears mainly because you're absolutely panicking about the temperature of the water but it gives you something else to focus on maybe but you no know, for me it's being outside you know doing something like that you know a day like today just seeing that 
sunshine just getting yeah. out even if it's cold mm -hmm. the blue sky out there just getting out in nature really yeah there's something about community you know getting getting out there and connection connecting and i think it's uh, we often do everything we 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 do, we, 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 that makes it worse, you know, sort of people always say to me in therapeutic room, oh, I know I should go for a swim, I know I should eat healthily, I know I shouldn't drink, I know I shouldn't smoke. Um, and it's often that those times that they need to, to really get themselves onto a, onto a self-care basis, that is often the hardest. So it's only about do it regardless, um, even, you know, just try, just try for one day. Get up and eat a decent breakfast and see how the rest of the day goes go for a walk in the sunshine if it's sunny um and just self-care but reach out you're not alone yeah and uh, and i talk on the show you know i mean we we rebranded we re to psychotherapy unfold you know we, we that previous brand was you know hashtag never alone you know and, and you know community and reaching out and talking to people is so important for mental health you know, I mean, I talk a lot on the show about exercise and being in nature. You know, I mean, if somebody's depressed, for instance, you know, the depression system, stay indoors, don't go out. You know, but the best thing I think you know, was well, some of the best things for mental health are, you know, interpersonal dynamics, being in nature. I mean, as you say, Lisa, swimming, the exercise, you know, and it is just, you know, trying to get these things into kind of like a mental health scaffolding, things that we do every day in order to, you know, to kind of increase our feelings of well-being and, and you know, frankly, give us kind of mental resilience for the things that life can throw at us. But I just wanted to end the show just by, by thanking you so much for, for coming on. It's a very, very big subject, uh, but it's going to be a really, really interesting show for our listeners. Uh, and just to tell our listeners, I'm away for, for a few weeks, but um, we'll be coming in and kind of Joe will be with me for our last episode for season 13. Um, we've got some great ideas for season 14. So stay tuned. And just to all our listeners, thank you for listening. And uh, we'll see you on the next show. And thank you, Mark. Thank Thanks. you. Bye. Bye, everyone. Yeah, I just wanted to just thank again Lisa and Bernie for coming on. Um, both real experts in their field. So it was a real honour to have them on the show today. So, you know, thank you. Um, it's a, it's such an important and broad subject. Um, but I hope it was, you know, it was helpful for our listeners to you know, to hear about it, you know, from, from both of them. And perhaps, you know, Bernie and Lisa may come on again at some stage and we can kind of broaden out and, you know, talk more about what is an incredibly important subject. Um, yeah, I got a bit carried away at the end and started talking about um, season 14. I mean, obviously, Alyssa's will know that um, it, I actually meant season four. Um, but hopefully we will get to do a season 14 at some point, but um, but in actual fact, the next season is season four. Um, season finale will be in a few weeks' time. Um, I'm, I'm going to go, Joe is going to come back on the show and we're going to talk a little bit about season three, uh, which I think, you know, I hope you agree has been an absolutely brilliant season, as all our seasons have. I mean, we've had some very, very interesting subjects and some interesting guests on you know, and Joe also will talk a little bit about some of the really, really exciting film projects he's got on. Um, I mean, his his work in you know the film industry is you know really, really going supersonic at the moment. So it'd be really good to to get Joe on and you know hear what's going on for him. Um, and just yeah, just to wrap up, thank you again. You know, as always, for our listeners. 
um really really appreciate you listening and uh and stay tuned for the uh the wrap up of season three and uh and season four should be very exciting too got a lot of great ideas for it okay so take care look after yourselves and uh i'll see you on the next episode <laughs>